The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. We need to talk about what that salvation looks like and set apart Christ in our hearts. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. We're studying together out of the book of First Peter. 
I was raised in a conservative Christian home. And I then did undergraduate in a Christian college and then went on to graduate school where I did my Master's of Divinity. I've been exposed all of my life to the Christian church. And John Wesley was very clear in his saying that if someone is not living according to Jesus, it's either because that person is in rebellion against Jesus or they have been taught theology that is not clear. Well, I was taught theology that was not clear. And I have struggled now all of my life to try to separate out what I've been taught that was wrong from that which is right. And I have, because of that, spent much time in prayer and scripture searching after how to live out this gospel life that is so precious to me. And the Lord has, by stages, given me incredible revelations. I started the journey as a a person in the holiness church in heavy legalism. When I left that as a pastor... I went to the Dutch Reformed positive thinking. And then I went from that because it was empty for me to simply no denomination but searching the scriptures, reading from Genesis to Revelation during that time of intense searching more than 50 times, trying to understand what is it? How do I live this life? And I'm going to tell you today that part of what I was taught was wrong. And part of what I preached in my emphasis was wrong. What do I mean? Well, let's pray, and I'm going to open this. Lord Jesus, I'm asking that today you would bring revelation knowledge to our hearts as well as to our minds, that you would remove from us all contentiousness, that we would be honest with each other and with ourselves and with you, Jesus, in our searching after you to understand, to walk clean, to be filled by your Holy Spirit and not be deceived by demon spirits. Lord, have your way in this broadcast today and open our minds to this amazing revelation that I'm going to share in the name of Jesus. Amen.
in my understanding of the modern American church's theology, as varied as that is, there seems to be one unifying understanding that I believe is utterly false. And it's that understanding that has shaped almost my whole life. It has put blinders on my eyes. It has taught me a certain perspective, put glasses on my face so that when I look through my glasses, I read all of Scripture from that perspective. When we take those those rose-colored glasses off and we just look at what the Scripture says for what it says, that's a huge task and one that we must pursue. It has been the greatest joy sadness, and trial of my life. Let me just be very plain about what it is. I was taught, and I have taught, that the emphasis in the Christian gospel must be placed, and I believed naturally placed, first and foremost, on removing guilt by the blood of Jesus. Removing guilt by the blood of Jesus. So that I know that I'm forgiven. And as I talk with Christians, and as I listen and read the Christian books, listen to the preachers, it's almost always entirely centered in the wonderful good news of the gospel that your sins have been wiped away, that your guilt has been removed, that when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you anymore. He sees himself. And then they add, and you will always be a sinner. But your guilt is taken away. And because your guilt is taken away, you're saved. Well, what are you saved from? You're saved from your guilt. Now, the other side of that is, are you saved from your sin? You're saved from the guilt of your sin, but are you saved from your sin? If you're not saved from your sin, what are you saved from? Well, I'm saved from the guilt of my sin. That's problematic in the scripture. That's not what the scriptures teach. The major emphasis of scripture, and I'm going to share some of it with you today out of First Peter and First John. The major emphasis of scripture, and you find this throughout when you take off your rose-colored glasses, the major teaching of scripture is that you are saved from your sin. And a part of that saving from your sin is the removal of the guilt by the washing of the blood. But the major emphasis is not on being saved from guilt. 
It's being utterly transformed and made into a new creature who walks clean and who does not walk in any known rebellion or sin, who has total victory over sin. Let's look at a couple of passages of Scripture and you'll begin to catch what I'm talking about. This is 1 Peter, the second chapter, verse 19. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate when he suffered. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore up, is the literal translation. He himself bore up our sins. I'm reading from the NIV. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins. Isn't it interesting that he does not say, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to the guilt of our sin. Doesn't say that. It doesn't say that anywhere in the scriptures. And yet that has been the major thrust of the American church that Jesus came and died to remove your guilt. That's not what the scriptures teach. It frankly was a shock to me when I began to read through the scriptures and try to understand what they literally were saying to me. And when I recognized that they were not saying anywhere that Jesus came to remove our guilt as a primary focus of what he was about. Peter writes, and we know that Peter is about to be martyred by Nero. We know he has come to the end of his life. He himself bore our sins, bore up. Remember, he was lifted up on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. That word righteousness comes from dikasune in the Greek, literally meaning to be made righteous or to be utterly innocent. By his wounds, you have been healed. Now, a very small part of that healing is the removal of guilt for sin. The much bigger part is the wound 
of sin. He came to live for righteousness, to die to sins for us so that we might die to sin. And by his wounds on that cross, we've been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Now, again, if we go over to the third chapter, verse 15, but in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Verse 18, For Christ died for sins once and for all the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Now, I want to read for you chapter 4 of 1 Peter, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude because he who suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. <coughs> Pardon me. I'm in recovery mode. I'm still hacking and coughing a bit. But God is healing me and restoring me. Pardon me. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Verse 7. This is chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Do you understand what I'm saying to you today? Everywhere you read in the books of First and Second Peter, First John, and many other places, Romans, sixth chapter I keep referring to. I urge you to read it carefully. The eighth chapter, read it carefully. 
Peter is saying, look, the real issue here is not the guilt. That's washed away by the blood. The real issue here is, are you done with sin? Are you done with sin? Are you living the rest of your earthly life for evil human desires, claiming that you are covered by the blood of Jesus, that you pray and repent and repent and repent and your guilt is taken away and you're saved and you're on your way to heaven? Wrong. Nothing could be further from the truth. When you repent of sin, if you go back to that sin, you have not yet repented for that sin and you are still held guilty before God. Do you understand? You are held guilty before God. It is not our guilt that is of first and vital importance to be removed, as important as that is. It is that you be transformed into a new creature and live a new life in Jesus Christ. Now, I take you, and I've looked at this with you before, but it's with a new and deeper understanding of these issues. I read chapter 3 of First John, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, you know, obviously, I've shared with you before, the research of the American church shows that the American church is just like the world. There's no measurable difference between the spending of money, the spending of time, the videos watched, the vacations taken, the purchases made, the life lived. The world and the church look just the same. And that's why this foolish bumper sticker that I've referred to says the only difference between you and me is that I'm forgiven. In other words, my guilt is taken away, but I'm still a sinner just like you. Now, please, I want to, I want to look very carefully and critically at this issue in terms of how it has impacted my life. For many years, knowing the gospel, that my guilt is removed, I still always considered myself to be a sinner. And I hear people on every hand, in every church, in almost every sermon, people saying, no, I can't be perfect. I can't leave all my sin." And when I ask people, are there issues between your heart and Jesus? 99% of the people I ask that always answer, yes, there are still issues between me and Jesus. As one brother this last week said, I am not fully submitted to Jesus, but I'm a Christian. I'm on my way to heaven. Are you sure? I don't believe you're on your way to heaven. I think if you're going to be on your way to heaven, you're going to have to come into the name of Jesus Christ and you're going to have to die. You're going to have to be crucified with him and you're going to have to leave your sin. 
and walk clean before God by the power of his blood. This is the reason the world does not know us that it did not know him. Does the world know you? Most of us, most of our lives would have to answer, yes, the world knew me. They knew I was just like them, but my guilt had been removed. Wrong. Dear friends, this is verse 2. Now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when we, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And I shared with you out of First Peter, how do you purify yourself? By obeying in the power of the Spirit, by obeying in the name of Jesus, the commands of Jesus Christ. Now verse 4. Heads up. This is shocking. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, or sin is rebellion. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. It does not say he appeared that he might take away our guilt. And so in my life, I've always castigated myself. I'm still a sinner. I'm trying to get the victory. I just can't get through this. Poor me. Woe is me. Thank you that my guilt is removed. Thank you that I'm saved. Do you see how twisted and ugly that is? To be like Jesus, I have to have victory over sin. And if the blood of Jesus Christ cannot give me victory over the sin of my heart, I don't want to be a Christian anymore. And I'm here to testify. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us total victory over all sin. No more rebellion. It says, in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Now, I just read to you from the, from the epistle of 1 John, the third chapter, the exact words of the NIV Bible. You can't say, Pastor, you're reading from a false Bible. I'm, I'm reading from the NIV. It's the old version. But if you go to the King James Bible, it will say the same identical thing. But we have not listened to this. We have interpreted this passage of Scripture as saying, you cannot continue in your guilt because your guilt has been washed away. But you continue in your sin because you can't have the victory over your sin. That's a lie. We've been deceived. I have been deceived by my seminary professors. I've been deceived by the preachers of my day. I was told the gospel 
was good news because it removed my guilt. I was not told that it made me righteous, that it totally transformed me into the likeness of Jesus. It says, verse 6, this is First John, third chapter. Go get your Bible. Go get your Bible. Read this. It's what the Bible says. And my Bible is my authority. I don't believe what men say to me if it's not in agreement with the scriptures. The scriptures are the inspired word of God. And Peter and John were close in fellowship with Jesus. He appeared to them and he taught them. And the Holy Spirit directed their words. Now, either they are false and liars, or we must change our theology. He says, No one who lives in him, that is, no one who lives in Jesus, keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. I wouldn't have the courage to say that to you, but John says it to us. He's saying that if you continue walking in rebellion against the Most High God, against Jesus, you don't know Jesus. Dear children, verse 7, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. Oh, no, wait a minute. It does not say he who has his guilt taken away is viewed by Jesus as righteous. It does not say that. I'm sorry. This is probably as shocking to you as it has been to me through the years as I've begun to understand this and be so bold in proclaiming it to you on this radio broadcast. But I have to confess there has still been a residue in my heart that thought that the removal of guilt was first and foremost in the gospel, and it's not. And I've had to radically adjust my understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ to bring my understanding into alignment with John's understanding and Peter's understanding and Paul's understanding because the modern church has taught lies and those lies have led to the total moral collapse of America. And if there is not a reformation, a great revival of godliness, of practical godliness, of obedience to Jesus, if there is not a coming out of the world, the flesh and the devil, then the American church will perish. It'll be swept into the dustbin of history. It will be lost. And those of you in it will be lost. You can say, I'm a Christian. I'm following Jesus. I'm on my way to heaven. My guilt has been removed. Has your sin been removed? 
by the power of the blood of Jesus. Have you been made into a new creature in Christ Jesus? Have you been born from above, as Jesus said to Nicodemus? Is that the truth of your life? Now listen. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous. It does not say, he who has righteousness imputed to him is righteous. It does not say that here or anywhere else in the scripture. It's a lie. (coughs) It's not true. And we must catch this. Because there must be a great pouring out of repentance and tears and an acknowledgement that we have missed the gospel of Jesus. We have thought it was something that it is not. We have had a half-truth, maybe a quarter-truth. Notice verse 8. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Now, we would, in our modern church, say, he who does what is sinful but has had his guilt removed, is saved. That's not what the scriptures say. Please, don't just blow me off. Don't just casually pass this by. This is a stunning, alarming revelation of the Holy Spirit to the church today. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. If you're still walking, not submitted to Jesus, your life belongs to the devil. That's what the scripture says. Pastor Ray didn't say that. Now, I preached this in a very soft way some two or three years ago to an Anglican church, and the bishop promptly threw me out. threw me out, forbid me to even pray on his campus, was very angry with me. Of course, I considered it an honor to be persecuted for Jesus. John Wesley was also kicked out of the Anglican Church for the same reasons. If you're a part of a church, that does not teach what I'm sharing with you today. You're in grave danger. Because it says, he who does what is sinful is of the devil. So if you're doing what is sinful, and the Holy Spirit has convicted you of this, and you have not repented, do so quickly or you will belong to the devil. It says, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. It does not say the reason the Son of God appeared was to remove your guilt. It doesn't say that. Even though 
I confess to you for many years, I believe that. I believe that the good news of the gospel was that my guilt had been removed. That's not the good news of the gospel. That's one very small part of the gospel. The major part of the gospel, good news, is that the Son of God appeared to destroy the devil's work and to destroy the devil's work in your life to set you free. That you might have life and have it more abundantly. Verse 9. This is First John, third chapter, verse 9. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. I was told I would always continue to sin. But it says here that if I'm born of God, I will not continue to sin. So you can test yourself right now. Are you born of God? If you think you're born of God because you believe your guilt has been removed by the blood of Jesus, but you're continuing to walk in sin, you've not yet been born of God. Because God's seed remains in him, he cannot go on sinning because he's been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. Does the world have a reason to hate you today? If you're continuing to walk in sin, that the world has no reason to hate you. You're one of their own. It's only when you are born of God, when you no longer continue to sin, when the seed of God is planted in your heart, and you no longer walk in wickedness before him. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murder has eternal life. This is how we know that what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. This is then how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. What I want you to catch with these last passages of Scripture 
is this incredible truth that our actions reveal whether we are sons of the devil, daughters of the devil, or sons and daughters of the Most High God. It is not what we say. It is not having our guilt removed, even though my guilt has been removed by the blood of Jesus. But that's not the gospel of Jesus. That's not the whole deal. It's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus. It's walking like Jesus. If we go over here to to Romans, I'm going to read this to you again. This is Romans 6. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Do you understand? The gospel of Jesus is not just about having your guilt removed. It's about coming into Jesus Christ and having the seed of God planted in your heart. Planted in your heart in such a manner that the world no longer has a hold of you. That you have renounced the world, the flesh, and the devil that you no longer are interested in the devil. You no longer give homage to the devil. You no longer claim, I'm a sinner, saved by grace. That's false teaching. It's not in the scriptures. We die to sin. We're baptized into his death. We're raised from that death into the glory of a new life. I know the modern church likes to hold on to the guilt is removed. And then when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see me. He sees himself and I'm saved by imputed grace. We like that because it allows us to claim salvation while continuing to walk as sons and daughters of the devil. And now we have the best of Jesus and the best of the world. And it's a lie. We've had a veil placed over our faces. That veil must be removed. There is a walk in righteousness by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus shed his blood to destroy the work of the devil in your life and in mine. Now listen, if we have been united with him like this, in his death, we also certainly will be united with him in his resurrection. For we are certain that our old self 
was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That phrase, done away with, is a cop-out in the NIV. Literally, the Greek word is that the body of sin might be destroyed. That is the old nature, totally destroyed. We live a new life in Christ. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no longer any mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives for God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do you get it? Is this good news for you? I am saved by grace, but Titus tells us that grace tells me how to say no to ungodliness and to sin. I've been born from above. I'm a new creature in Christ. So the focus of my heart is no longer the false belief that my guilt has been forgiven, but I am unrighteous before God. Would you really believe that Jesus would want you to be raped by the devil? That he has no power to save you from the destruction that sin brings in your heart and your life to your, to your relationship with him and to the relationship with other people? No. No, I serve a Jesus. who has saved me from slavery to sin and made me righteous, made me innocent before him. As I shared with you yesterday, the bait has been laid out and every temptation is going to come to you. But we're also told by the Apostle Paul that no temptation will come to you but what you can overcome because a way of escape will be made for you. There is in Scripture no excuse for sin. Now that means if you have believed that you are saved because your guilt, you believe, has been removed, but you still walk in sin, there's going to have to be a new birth for you, a radical transformation is going to have to take place in your heart and in your life. A laying down of your life, being crucified with Christ, and being given a new life.
a new place. I pray this has been good news for you today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray from the National Prayer Chapel. You're welcome to come and worship with us on Sunday mornings. We start at 10 a.m. We finish at noon, and then we have lunch together. We'd love to see you. We're a small house church. You can go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and there you'll see our address, phone number for me. I also want to tell you that it's clear to me financially I'm praying that God moves in your heart that you would step up and give generously, hilariously that this broadcast can continue on the air. Dirk and and others of you who have given so kindly Gail from California. I still have your card right here, Gail. Thank you. Irvin. Ellen. Thank you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 23. 46, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Now let's pray. Lord, I lift up today my brothers and sisters that may be shocked by this word, I pray that you will give them time and space to think and pray and search the scriptures to see whether or not what I have said is true. That you did not come to simply remove guilt, but Jesus, you came to make us, in fact, like yourself, righteous, to be born from above. Lord, I thank you for making this message clear in my heart. And I pray now, Lord, that you will bring about this reformation, this revival in America. That you will scatter this broadcast like the leaves of autumn. Lord, I trust what you're doing and I'm waiting upon you. I know it's not by might and it's not by power, it's by your spirit. Thank you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I thank you for the healing in my body, in my mind, and in my soul. Lord, my eyes are upon you. And I'm waiting upon you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.
Well, tomorrow we're going to continue in our study in the book of of 1 Peter. And we'll again go over to the book of 1 John. I urge you in preparation, read carefully 1 Peter, the 4th and 5th chapters, the last two chapters in in 1 Peter. And then on Friday, we'll do our normal day of prayer. I pray that as we come together on Friday to pray, you will come with an honest heart and an eagerness in your heart to pray, to cry out to Jesus for the church and for America. Well, that's all the time we have for today. I pray God's blessing, his richest blessing for you. I look forward to hearing you soon. I love you, my brother, my sister. God bless you. Oh, His glory.